0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: Hey, Hustlers, we know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k if you missed that don't worry we have it in the description box of this episode so click that too and again big shout out to sprout solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork reclaim it with their payroll starter now let's begin this episode The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by B21, a platform which helps you start your journey with cryptocurrencies. Visit b21.io hustleshare hustle share and get $2 upon signing up. Also powered by
0: Podmetrics, the only analytics platform you'll ever need for your podcast. Sign up now at podmetrics.co for free and use the code HUSTLESHARE.
2: And you could look at the cup like half empty and say the Philippines is a very sad market, or you could look at it from the perspective that we see it, where the cup is very half full and the upside is massive.
0: Welcome to Hustle Share,
1: the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike.
0: Now here's your host, Ronster Betiong.
1: Welcome to the latest episode of the Share Podcast. We have made another leap because today we'll be having one of the newest, if not the newest, venture builder or venture fund out there that's out to shock and rock the whole startup community. Because recently, actually just last week, they announced... That there is another venture builder in town, and they're not just formed by random people. These are amazing startup founders. So I made sure we get first dibs to put the word out, so that you can get first dibs as a hustler listening to Hustle Share to get on the shows. But before I get carried away, let's welcome to the show one of the partners in Buko Ventures, Mr. George Patton. George, welcome <laughs> to the show. Iron. <laughs> there you go, George. There you go. I got intense because I'm very excited to have you guys on the show and welcome. Because I've had some of your colleagues in this one, like you know, this is a superstar team you have here uh, with you know your your partners Saúl Moya of Flower Store, Andrew Koger of GoodWork.ph. and by the way, if you want to listen to them, we're not gonna dissect in this episode. Scroll all the way back. They're, they're right there. Uh, if you want to dissect what this is, uh, that's what it is. But again, uh, George, I'm a big fan of what you guys do. And welcome to Hustle Share.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me, Ron, for actually inviting us here to talk about Buko Ventures. And also just a little bit of a correction. We're not a venture builder. We're more of a venture fund focused mm. and really like the angel fund, like the earliest stages of a startup.
1: Got it. Since you already delved into it, what is a venture fund, really, by, by definition? And what do you typically do?
2: So basically, the venture fund that we've uh, made together is like, we're really like five partners, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It's Carlos, COO of Lazada and EVP of the Lazada Group. And we have mm-hmm. Saul, who heads Flower Store, the biggest flowers and gifting company in Southeast Asia. And mm-hmm. uh, we have good work, which is the biggest beauty like services app in, in the Philippines. Yep. And then we have Angel who heads Lads Mall. And then me who has abstract digital building like MVPs for like rocket internet back startups in Southeast Asia. So we are really coming in here as like a very experienced group yep. of founders and then pulling mm. in our capital to really just build a venture fund for founders mm. uh, built by founders. So we come in at the earliest stages, like pre-launch, pre-revenue, mm.
1: Got it. All right. That, uh, you already gave us a good glimpse of what that is. And thank you for describing it properly. But I need to also ask you the million-dollar question. George, what's your hustle?
2: So my day job, my full-time job is I'm the co-founder of Abstract Digital. And now I'm the founding investor as well in Buko Ventures. But in Abstract Digital, we've been in the agency business for close to a decade now. And wow. in the last couple of years, we've niched our way into working with uh, venture-backed startups in Southeast Asia. So yeah, we built a lot of startups for Rocket Internet, uh, for 500 wow. startups, plug and play. And yeah, it's exciting to have this kind of global perspective. So when mm-hmm. I was talking about this with um, the superstar team of Buco, we really just came in and mm-hmm. said, hey, you know what, let's really just purely focus on like Filipino founders mm-hmm. and put That's our amazing. money where our mouth is.
1: And that's true. And just, just I'm just at all with the people that you just uh, drop right now. Five hundred, uh, plug and play. You know, rocket. For them to trust you, and again, you're not in Manila, by the way. Just just to show the type of talent we have spread out, because people always think, that, ah, maybe it's just Manila devs that we need to talk to. Dude, Cebu is where it's at. You know, and in building stuff like you know, knowing what I know and the top secret stuff like you know, the Cebu people are working on. Dude, it's not even close. You guys build the best tech out there. But before I get carried away, before you tell (laughs) us how you got that done, I need you to buckle up, my man, because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share Time Machine. There you go. We just passed by Ilaputi, (laughs) right there. Uh, I miss Ilaputi. I miss Uh, IT Park.
2: The owner is a good friend of mine. uh, Yes,
1: shout out to you, John. You have the best beef stroganoff in the world. If you always go, (laughs) if you go to Cebu, before they were in IT Park. Now I don't know what that place is called, but they have a better, bigger place. You need to go and eat the beef stroganoff in Ilaputi before you go Casa Verde. Just take it from a fat man <laughs> like me <laughs> and go Sunburst for Miranda as well. There you go. So I, we're, we're all the way back and the Padins are very well respected in the tech industry. I've met your brother a long time ago in, uh, so who's Albert, so shout out to Albert. Uh, well, I've, I've met him through a startup pitching competition when the startup ecosystem was literally forming. And the word, the last name, I, that's last name recall already. The OGs know them, but this is my first time actually getting to know you in a deep, deep, deep level. But walk us through how you got into the world of business because again, if your brother's also in tech and you are in tech, was this ingrained with you at a, a young age that business is the way to go? What were your early influences towards entrepreneurship?
2: Yeah, I think uh, I have a very good story uh, just around like our childhood. Like I would pretty much like to say that we had a very unique childhood like albert is like i told you my my brother since birth (laughs) yes uh, again i
1: was totally befuddled (laughs) how can you have a brother
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah we we, We're five uh, in the family five siblings so our childhood is pretty unique because our, our father is uh very smart engineer and also very entrepreneurial and you know when you're entrepreneurial and pre-internet age you just really follow the opportunity wherever it is right. so that actually meant uh, as a kid we moved more than 40 times like four zero 40 houses. times yeah and so what that actually really means is like just by the time you have like friends in a certain village you have to leave them and never see them again you know and as a kid, wow. that shapes you up to really just become very, very adaptable. Um, and right. in entrepreneurship, you have to be like freaking adaptable, right? Because it's like the, the situations yeah. just change all the time. So, yeah, it's like uh, we as a family just had that kind of adaptability where we just take everything, ride the ride boat, go to another island. And, you know, the Philippines is like New Zealand, besides Mindanao, and we have like different languages. So I'm pretty fluent in Mm. Tagalog as well. When I go to Manila, which pre-pandemic, I'm always there. I really just speak Mm. Tagalog as if I'm a local. And when I'm here, I'm like super Visaya. So that was the kind of childhood that that we had that I think had um, a lot of relevance when it came to entrepreneurship. Got it. Now,
1: talk about school. Because again, if you're adaptable, you form friends, you leave them. You have to be. You can't invest too much on friends and have that sentimental bond, and then all of a sudden just move around. Technically, you're like a family of of an NBA superstar that gets traded around from <laughs> city to city, right? You you have a school here, and all of a sudden you next year you're 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 in the next city try to put your roots, and then you gotta move again. Walk us through how you also grew up on that floor. It's
2: like always moving school. It's like uh, we are in this school this year and the next year we're in another school in another island with another language and you're like a tagalog and then you're like in a school where students speak Bisaya. so Mm -hmm. that's the kind of childhood that we had and yeah it was something eventually that we got very used to and also my 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 dad was very entrepreneurial and you know went in. Entrepreneurship, it's like a roller coaster, right? Like when it's up, it's up. When it's down, it's Mm. really down. So you know, we had childhood where we had to do promissory notes. It's like (laughs) we didn't have money for tuition fee. But you know, that was the kind of uh, really the childhood that that we had. But it was it was beautiful, especially in retrospect.
1: You you were aware of risks at an early age because that's the, the main forefront of entrepreneurship, right? How adaptable are you to risk and how brazen are you to take those opportunities despite the the things that you don't know right now i want to understand how did you guys get into tech right especially you because i look at your linkedin right you started with simp again working with your brother since birth shout out to you albert how did you get into tech because i have known him as again this dude who runs the biggest dev shop in cebu when you talk yeah. dev shop like holy shit that's simp not even close nobody's even close right and he's built lots of products there but if you started out your professional career, or is this a start? Or did you do anything uh, prior to that?
2: So uh, prior to really doing that, uh, I don't know if it was the first startup weekend in the Philippines or it was the first in what Cuba, year? But um, I think it was twenty eleven or that's the 20, first. Because twenty twelve yeah. was so, the second one. Dado Dado Banata went. Um, Winston the like a, a bunch of like big shots, actually went there and. Ah, uh, that was my first exposure to tech. Um, oh. we actually won the startup weekend. Our startup wow. was called Wait, Wait No More. We pitched it, um, and we won, and that was like my highlight of like, oh, I think there's potential in tech. So
0: okay. after
2: that, really, I just really worked with Albert, like Dave. We're pre- I'm very close with Dave as well. Dave Overton. Um, yep,
1: shout out Dave. Yeah.
2: So I'm very close to Dave and I really was just like, hey, I'll do whatever. I'll make coffee for you. I just really want to learn tech and mm-hmm. all of that. And, and so I came in there really like literally making coffee for Dave. And mm-hmm. I got promoted to like digital marketing, you know, copy pasting stuff mm-hmm. and, and posting it in Hootsuite and all of that. And eventually they gave me a shot into managing a project, like a project that they were willing to lose. You know, that okay. kind of mentality where, oh, okay, this project, we could give this to George. We're okay to lose this client. But it. eventually, it turned out to be a really successful project. And nice. then they gave me more. They gave me more. And eventually, I was managing like majority of the big accounts in stuff. Mm-hmm. And three years prior to leaving, I was leading their entire business development. Wow. So the growth there was really quick and fast because the founders also had a very different mentality in terms of running a company. It really yep. was like trial by fire and you could burn, Right. but if, if you really just don't be too stupid, you yep. not to <laughs> be burn. an idiot. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, eventually that's what happened there. And then I then started a media company and the tech company and we we're, we're very like the, the, we always see it as a rising tide raises all boats and we yeah, always keep in touch and the ocean is so big. Um, mm-hmm. We have different niches like abstract um, has niche its way into working with like heavily venture backed startups and Simp is mm-hmm. working with le- really like large scale um, brands and, and systems. Mm-hmm.
1: Got it. All right. Let me just uh, track back a little bit here on Simp. Because again, if you're coming in and your, your main task was me- doing coffee and this is, again, common in a lot of tech startups. Everybody matters. There's no such thing as just a coffee maker in there because eventually you're going to have to find your way with certain big responsibilities from the get-go and whatnot. And that's what I always say in this podcast, that if you're a student, if you want to really learn, the best place to learn, again, I'm heavily biased though, is going to be in a startup because the learning curve is short compared to a corporate or there are ladders and whatnot. Here, you get thrown into the fire. Yes, you're going to die a lot of times, but you're going to learn. But I want to understand, George, what your mindset was like in terms of acquiring yeah. skills. And because from literally making coffee to leading their BD in a short span, you have to learn and unlearn things that fast. What helped you learn things that fast and also develop your leadership skills? Because that goes parallel. You can't be given responsibilities if you're a sucky ass leader.
2: right? Yeah, exactly. So how did you develop that? And yeah, when, when you're leading projects as well, especially like obviously in a tech company, you're dealing with designers, you're dealing with developers, you're dealing with clients. So there's a lot of like different psychologies that you need to balance. So that's really key. Adaptability is very key as well. I think it's really lowering your ego when, when you lead. A lot of times, like for example, I, I always remember this way back, like I wrote this really shitty email to a client and and dave was cc in that email and then dave just like basically pm'd me and told me hey george you have a brain use your brain <laughs> and that really that really stuck with me forever because i really like i could have taken that and said like hey my ego is so high i'm really so hurt and then i would resign and do like all those stupid stuff but mm-hmm. i decided to actually take that as a challenge and say like hey yeah i wrote a really shitty email I'll never do that again. So since then, I actually am quite known to write very well-written emails. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's lowering your ego. Yeah,
1: but lowering your ego is the first step. How did you become better? Because okay, if you lower your ego, then you're open to criticism and improvement. And sometimes you can't come in and say, hey, I'm already this hotshot superstar if you're a fucking 18-year-old. Come on now, right? You need to lower, leave your ego at the door so that you'd be open to improve. But what did you do to improve those things? Because again, lowering your ego. But I see also a lot of young ins struggle. But okay, where do I go? What do I do? And the ones that really thrive and really go up the ranks are the ones that are able to figure it out with minimal supervision. I think that's what you
2: did. But what did you do? I think uh, you really just have to show up every single day. Like I think showing up has a lot to do with it. Because, you know, you could just like keep and like grounding your head with like, hey, I'm so good and all of that. But showing up means you're you're being seen and then you're going to be given opportunities to actually grow. So I was always there. I was always showing up. I was always taking on big challenges. Like way back, I remember um we had this big client in the US and its opposite like time zone, obviously. So I really was just like, hey, I'm gonna set up the team, the night team. And I actually like formed the night team, and I was basically midnight shift for like 60 days. Wow. And it was sad. And that account was successful for a certain time. And mm-hmm. and yeah, it's like just those kinds of challenges, you know, it's like mm-hmm. head on.
1: Okay. Now um before we jump into you know your your next synth as your as the as your as your own founder and executive producer and is it 1216 or one twelve one two one six
2: Ah, uh, it's twelve sixteen media okay, it's basically 12, 16 just media my condo unit number uh, there you go so, so if you guys want to just
1: look for the right right condo <laughs> in I don't know in IT park somewhere or Laho right figure it out right 1216 that's his George's unit but I, I want to find out first so you develop that Six years in Sim. When you came in, you 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 knew nothing. But when you left, you leave a startup and you come out with a shitload of skills. Now, what was your go-to move, and what were you good at after Sim? Right, because you can't take that next leap if you're not confident in what you're able to do.
2: Yeah, that's a good question because I think there's really like uh, genuine confidence and fake confidence, and you're the only one who knows uh, that. Like if you have the genuine kind of confidence a lot of people can't really tell if you have uh, either so when I took that leap it's really I I knew deep inside that I had that genuine confidence because you know um, I never underestimate the power of experience and I really had a ton of experience when I was there so leading business development had a lot of advantages for me as well it's like I just got introduced to these like business owners directly so when I started my new venture it's like I'm not starting from scratch and who is this right. guy?
1: Correct. Yeah. And again, because you already have the playbook of what not to do, what to do, and where your strengths are and how to maximize and how to now build a team. Now, here's what I want to ask because in 1216 Media, it's totally left field of doing dev work. There are similarities. In, in a way, that's what I'm doing now. Dev and podcasts are, are they're very similar things in, in what we do. But, It's very different when you are the head honcho, when your ass is on the line now. How was that transition? Because a lot of the people that would want to go into Buko Ventures, I would imagine, are probably taking their first leap and that scares the living fuck out of them, right? Exactly. But how did you do that yourself to now get over that leap and like, okay, I'm confident, but dude, this is going to be my shit now. I'm scared. What did you do?
2: I'll tell the story of 1216 to you first and how that came about because it actually came... About like as an accident. Because uh, when I was in tech, you know us in tech, we just sit all the time and we're like coding and all of that. You get really chubby. So I gained Ouch. like 20. <laughs> Ouch. Don't hurt me. I didn't say fat. I, okay. said, I said chubby. Uh, That's so what we tell ourselves, really
1: uh, George. <laughs> we just tell ourselves chubby. We don't go to the fat route. We just tell, yeah, I'm just chubby. I'm at over 200 <laughs>
2: So what basically happened to me was I got very chubby, like 28 kilograms, like overweight. And that's not pounds, that's kilograms. So I really was just like, I wanted to make a very big change in my life. Then I was like, I'm going to lose all of this fat. And I'm going to keep running. At my peak, I was running like 14 kilometers. You went every single day for six months. <laughs> I did. I did. So I, I ran like 14 kilometers every single day uh, for a straight six months and then ended it with wow. like uh, a run in Banaue Rice Terraces full marathon. Wow. And I documented that entire process, you know, like with Instagram stories and all of that. And, I was drinking Pokari sweat all the time. Shout out. I don't know if I, I, I could say a brand, but I was drinking you this will drink. charge.
1: We'll just charge them. We'll just charge them. do <laughs>
2: We'll Send them I, the invoice. I, I, was, <laughs> I was drinking this hydration drink. Um, because no worries. Really I'm also a Pokari
1: sweat drinker. Shout out to them.
2: <laughs> right? And it's like, it helped me with my, like, not to be dehydrated. So, I was thinking, you know what? I think I should pitch like a very good commercial to these guys. Because it's very relevant, it's very real, it's very true. I I lost 28 kilograms from running and I I wasn't dehydrated. So I compiled everything, turned it into like a one minute commercial type. And then I found like somebody to intro me to their team. Wow. And eventually I sent them like a really weird email where I showed my like really chubby picture and then what I look now and then the idea that I had in mind. And I said, if there's a possibility they could uh, feature this together with like Nadine Lustre as their endorser, like on wow. their Facebook page and all of that. And the crazy thing happened that they were like, yeah, let's do it. So wow. I ended up uh, doing a commercial for them and yeah, they, they, they paid me for it. And that's how 1216 got started. So yeah. we then grew the team and I started selling commercials uh, since then.
1: Nice, um, that's amazing. But now two things, you built a team and you're good at BD and you're good at running now, you know, drinking pokari sweat also. How did you build a team? Because I also the second thing I wanted to find out is around this time, if you did twelve sixteen 16 in March, you also did abstract digital, which is what you're doing now in May. That was two months apart. How did you make yeah. all of that work? And, you know, um, how did you build the, uh, the, the same team or a separate team? How did that happen?
2: It's It's a very, very separate team. So... 1216 is really like high production commercials at very like affordable costs. And that's what we did. And full disclosure, it's a very tough market. Like doing commercials because... um, Creative market's always tough. (laughs) Yeah, the the barrier to entry and to distribute your content is already very cheap. It's no longer like you could only distribute on TV. So in our entire existence, we were able to sell like quite a bit of commercials considering that it's actually a very tough market. But at the same time, my passion has always been in tech. So I was always in tech still. That was always a separate team. And, you know, when you build like a very strong team and very independent, you don't really have to be like extremely hands-on micromanaging every single thing. And that's what happened there. So the offices actually back then was like um, in the same building. So I would just go up and down. 18th floor, 16th floor, 18th floor, 16th floor.
1: Got it. All right. Now let's talk about Abstract before we take our first break. I want to find out um, how that happened within this two-month span? Because I'm pretty sure you were still running when this was happening, right? How did you then think of creating a behemoth or a, or a machine to build MVPs? Because that's where a lot of startups also failed. They bungled the MVP part. How did this opportunity come about?
2: Yeah, um, so it's like when we take our experience and really just building for big government projects, like building for Mm -hmm. big local brick and mortar here, like dealing with the bureaucracy there and dealing with startups as well, who have like really tight runways. We took all of that experience that we had back in Simp and when we built this, when I built this with my my co-founder, we came from that knowledge, you know, it's like, how can we actually improve this agency model of building tech products? Mm -hmm. And As we were like doing more projects and all of that, it was a mix of like projects for big local brick and mortar here. We actually saw some rise in demand as well from like startups within Southeast Asia. So some in Singapore, some in Indonesia, and Mm -hmm. they turn out to be like really backed by serious like uh, venture firms as well. And from there, it's like it just really had a network effect. So we suddenly found ourselves uh, by accident working with like really heavily backed startups. All right,
1: all right. Now let's take our first break, and when we come back, I want to find out more about how you grew Abstract Digital, and then we're gonna talk about how you scaled that further, and how you planted the seed that eventually turned into a full-on bibuco plant that is now adventuring.
2: <laughs> all right, well, let's talk about that yeah. more
1: after the break.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey they can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify plus they accept most insurance plans to get started visit plushcare.com weightloss weight loss that's plushcare.com slash weight loss spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine with the weather warming up it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a pilates class or outdoor guided walk peloton has everything you need to help you get going get a head start on summer with peloton at onepeloton.com
1: hey guys i have a very very exciting opportunity i want to share with you guys if you're a b2b startup founder listen up your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact 24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact 24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about... That's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck and see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back from the break. We're still with George Paddy again, who now told, told us how he got chubby. <clears throat> that hurt me, by the way. <laughs> I had to run a few miles before I came back. I'm
2: motivating you. Thank I'm you. motivating you. Now I'm biking. You should watch I'm biking. video.
1: Okay, uh, if Pokari sweat pays, then yes, I will. There you go. <laughs> um, it's good, by the way. I, I also drink that as my recovery drink. Oh, perfect the with good. a banana,
2: the perfect combo, right? And when it's really cold, right? When it's really yes. cold. yes,
1: okay. Pokari yeah. sweat, this is now five shout outs that I've done in this episode. <laughs> so, bro, tell me the guy who I need to send it to. So, I will do that for them. <laughs> Okay, now let's talk about abstract digital, right? MVPs, you know, the the whole dev spectrum is a very competitive landscape because, again, 90% of developers, over 90% of developers in the Philippines don't create product. They do dev shop. They do service business. But you technically are creating product in the dev shop model, right? Now, I want to understand, when you saw the opportunity to build... MVPs. First of all, why MVPs? And number two, how did you even know that the MVP is worth doing? Because at the end of the day, you have overhead to also uh, worry about. The worst thing that can happen is you someone a startup would go in there and say, "Hey, I need an MVP, but I don't have anything." How did you identify those venture back startups that had money to burn that you can do yep. MVPs for?
2: For sure, definitely. So. I think I'll, I'll tell you like our experiences in different types of like clients, right? Sure. So when you when you work with big corporate, it's like the money there flows very slowly. It's like it's as if they're sending it via oh. your check. So the payment My there god. is probably going to be 60 days, 90 days. That's when actually working... fast.
1: My experience I've had like, <laughs> dude, one year account receivable, god damn.
2: You're already dead. And, and the there's so, I'm, I'm not like, bad mounting that space because there's also some right fit for that space, you know, large scale. But you're also competing against the procurement department who wants to really um, slice your margins. You're also dealing with a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You also have to maybe slightly play a little bit of politics. You have to Mm -hmm. have a lot of approval process which basically means a lot of recurring expenses for me for a very long period of time with a very, very delayed collectible, which means a very bad cash flow. So if you look at it from that perspective, it's a really bad business model for us. Like I have a team of like more than 20 people. And as you know, tech uh, talent is quite pricey. So the recurring Super. expenses is quite high. But compare that to working with venture-backed startups. These guys move fast. They pay fast. And at the same time, you're working with extremely... Uh, talented, smart, sharp founders. So, when we've actually seen demand there, we've actually just doubled down in that space. So, our technologies, the the way we build is really like out in the market in like four months. Uh, so, we do a design sprint pre pandemic. We used to fly a lot. Uh, we used to be in Singapore, in Jakarta to do design sprints. So, we nailed the entire MVP design in like two to three weeks. And then we build on React wow. Native in like three months and then it's out in market and then we iterate so yeah that's why we quickly uh, gained demand and traction from rocket internet back startups which basically just have like a pre-seed of like a year of runway and then they need to get the seed yeah so I hope that gives you a good overview of why we've really niched our way into this space
1: Mm -mm. now that's really good and again for you to even find those preceded ventures, not a lot of them exist out there. Most of them are bootstrapped and the runway is typically low, right? But these are ventures that mm, have exactly. money to burn, number one, and are willing to outsource MVPs because majority of the time, the people that don't have cash per se, don't have cash to pay for MVPs. That's why you know they crawl through that zero to one process because they're going to make do with what they have and what they can afford. But for you to find those, how did you find them? The 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 rocket internet peeps. Well, because the, exactly. these, they're technically elusive. They're not just going out there and saying, <laughs> hey, I'm rocket internet. Because they're busy yeah. building. How did you find them?
2: They are. So um, I think one, one point I would just like to highlight as well. It's like the hardest startup founders to work with actually are the ones that are not venture-backed. Because they're like bootstrapping, they're using their like family money and all of that. And it's very hard to part with their money. So it's very challenging to work uh, with those kinds of founders. That's why we really made it a point to uh, really niche our way into venture back startups. So the thing actually, how it got started is it was really just an introduction with like now a big like fintech uh, company in in Singapore and Indonesia. Mm. They're called Spendmo and from then Hmm. we actually got connected to another rocket internet back and now recently we've worked with like the former head of rocket internet asia building his own startup so the the network effects really just took off and we really found Hmm. ourselves working with the most interesting founders with very interesting backgrounds like former ceo of food panda so Yeah. yeah
1: That's amazing. And what, there's one thing. I, I came from a rocket internet company in my first or my last job, technically, in Groupon. And back in 2010, 2011, they had a bad rap because they're known to, uh, you know, they move fast at blazing fast costs <laughs> that they tend to run people over. But credit where credit is due, the people that came from Rocket knew how to fucking scale startups like fucking crazy. But if that was the type of culture we were working on, they, the expectations are high. What is common among these startup founders from Rocket that you don't see in a typical founder? And how, what, what's their brain like? What's their process like?
2: Good, good question. I think they're extremely efficient in terms of cost, in terms of they're very data-backed data driven. So it's like when you do build products for them, design products for them, you really have to AB test it and all of that. It's not just going to be like, Hey, it looks fancy. It looks good. Like, let's launch it. It's really about like studying the data and moving really, really fast because you know, uh, the business model is pretty obvious. It's really just copying existing players and executing better, Mm -hmm. executing faster, forming like a, like a better team. Yes. So, yeah, what's very common about, among them as well is they're all very, very smart. They're also very good to work with. You really just right. have to be very competitive as well. There's no room for yeah. politics or bureaucracy and all of that.
1: And that's true. And you also have to leave your ego at the door because they didn't come here to dick around, <laughs> for sure. That's one thing I know. Because that's also the downside of having, say, a Filipino local mindset. You tend to bring your ego and your feelings to the door. They'll come at you straight, like, hey, this is shit, right? I need this. <laughs> exactly. Amount. And that's why the results are like that. Because the efficiency, and again, there's no wasted time, there's no wasted movement or effort. Even the way they they build a team, if you aren't fit, you're out the door right away, right? That's that's how they exactly. built that type, that thing.
2: Exactly. And we're very, we're really very honest. And when you work with these guys, it's like they also become your friends. So they're very, very honest with you. And even during the pandemic, when the pandemic Mm -hmm. hit, um, all of these venture back startups that we work with just started calling me and saying like, hey, our investors told us to stretch our runway to like 18 months instead of 12 months because we don't know what the investment landscape would look like. So we then like really on the spot just negotiated like, okay, let's lower the rates by this much. Will this work? And that's the kind of relationships that you uh, need to foster and, and build with these guys as well. Got it. All
1: right. Now I want to understand is that how you met these superstar guys named yeah. Saul Moya, Andrew Cougar, and there Carlos and Angel? Yeah. Because these are the common denominator among these fellas as they're all former rocket peeps, former Lazada. Lazada. Yeah. You know, the, you know and Lazada, for those people who don't know, before Alibaba came in, this was a perfect example. Of a rock, the this is their biggest rocket ship that they built, and they built it freaking fast. They pivoted as well; they went from, you know, retail into a marketplace model. And these were the guys behind it, running it. And how did you meet them at that point?
2: Exactly. Um. So, I've always been friends uh, with with this group. Uh, every time I'm in Manila, I actually have coffee uh, with them. So, in the early days of GoodWork as well, I built portions of uh, GoodWorks technology. So since then we've always kept in touch. I also made like a commercial for Saul. I think to date it's still the most beautiful commercial that Flower Store put out. It's very wow. very heartwarming. So yeah, with with the, that team, mm-hmm. uh it it was really just a bunch of friends that that I hung out with and we decided to like do something together because it's a very ripe uh time. We also saw what uh 335 fund uh is doing, Francis Plaza and and team yep, and we shout out. We just actually, had them a couple <laughs> we're actually collaborating uh, we have a shared whatsapp to just like discuss how we could really build like the ecosystem and invest like the earliest possible to talented founders absolutely
1: correct and the talent is there again we've come a long way from 2011 2012 where literally you can go in a room and you know everybody a lot of those guys are are still around at least those, those guys that really push through some of them are, are not back I hope they do come back I think they are the most qualified to have a successful startup now, though they failed in their first few, you know, uh, tries. But dude, for sure. But the kids now are fucking amazing, man. It's like it's scary and it's amazing what they can do. But they need the right tutelage now. That's what I want to find out. Why you're doing buco ventures? So you have your friends. You had a meeting of the minds. But why a yeah. venture fund? Because some people so, would go like, oh, I'll, I'll carry pick and see and invest and whatnot. What? Why this?
2: We actually the reason we really built this to be like a venture fund, and we really want to be out there is we really want to support the ecosystem very seriously. Because the the way we're thinking about it is very like from a very obvious standpoint. Where Indonesia. If we use it as a benchmark, it's just like twice the Philippines population, but their tech startup ecosystem there probably is a hundred times better. And you could look at the cup like half empty and say the Philippines is a very sad market, or you could look at it from the perspective that we see it, where the cup is very half full and the upside is massive. So we're looking at it from that perspective. And we really just want to come in at the earliest stages of a startup, like pre-launch, pre-seed. We see a founder who's really extremely... Uh, well-versed with the industry that they're trying to disrupt or change. And we give them money to actually just get started, do it full-time. And with our guidance, mm-hmm. we help them like create a very solid MVP to attract like a serious seed round using our network as well. So it's not just like leaving them there. It's really leveraging right. our value-add in their startup.
1: And what I like about you is you don't shark them out. You're getting 5 to 10%. Is exactly uh, which for sure again, uh, walk us through if someone attracts you, what do they get specifically? Because I said, I got, I saw five to ten percent, dude. That valuation is really good because most early <laughs> stage founders here in the Philippines ballpark figure that all I typically see is they get 20 30 percent, which is dangerous if you got the wrong angel, you got the wrong because... angel, and they get 20 30 percent of your shit, you're fucked. But at 5 to 10%, <laughs> yes. pre-revenue, pre-launch, that's a big-ass yes. risk. But what do they get if they are fortunate enough to, to pass the standards that you guys look for?
2: Yeah, so I think the value-add that we have really as like an angel backer to these startups is we could really help them through our network get like a serious seed round. And we won't like introduce them to our network as well if we haven't helped them yet like form the MVP that's solid. With like data and like real good like projections or even like early traction and stuff like that. So I think that's where our real value add is. And when we let like a seed like round venture focused uh, fund come in, these guys also know that our reputation in the industry is very credible as well. And we know what we're talking about. So, yeah, uh, since we launched Buko Ventures, we've been hearing pitches from really smart founders and it's making us more excited about the ecosystem.
1: And if you're listening, you heard it here first on Hustle Share. Dude, I've just in this year alone, I've had like four or five new ventures that are now even venturing into Idea Space. Before, nobody wants to touch Idea Face bootstrap people. I guess I, Idea Space is the only one, but they don't help you build the MVP, they let you figure it out. But here it's literally walking you through these things. Now, in terms of competencies, walk us through also the experience. So, of course, Saul and uh, Andrew has been guests here uh, before. So if you, again, want to find out what their background was. In that network, within the five of you at least, what are the things they can get here? Because at the end of the day, just being in the room with these people and having the tutelage to build the product, rocket internet style, motherfucking shit, my goodness, right? Is <laughs> already a big boon. Because this is better than an MBA because the people that is going to mentor you per se, have done things at scale. What are they getting here?
2: Exactly. I think just to talk a little bit about the background of the team, uh, the founding investors of Buko Ventures, it's like if we look at Saul, for example, when they sold Lazada to Alibaba and he was CFO of Lazada, he then did Flower Store. And Mm. fast forward to present time, Flower Store Group is the biggest flowers gifting company in Southeast Asia, not just the Mm. Philippines. We have operations in Vietnam and the Philippines. So that kind of growth hacking and like social media marketing and like even now venturing into TikTok is just like really, uh, really valuable. Like it's a massive value add. Like when we discuss things internally or when we mentor these people that we will fund and advise, we really come from that perspective. And same mm-hmm. goes with Carlos and Angel from Lazada. It's really the value that they bring there. It's really just from the perspective of like a giant, you know like how giants are thinking, yep. what the giants are trying to do next, so this kind of perspective um really is very value add and then from my end, it's like I really focus on cost efficiency as well, like I know how to build it really quick, and I can advise them there mm-hmm. it's like we wouldn't fund somebody and then tell them to hire an agency because I know that agencies' margins are quite high, though it's like less risky compared to a freelancer. The margins are pretty high. So we could advise Mm -hmm. them a lot on just shaping up the MDT at the most cost-efficient way. Got it.
1: Now, uh, last two questions before we take our last break. You you told us what they're going to get in terms of network, but what are you looking for in terms of founders? Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to drive this. You guys are there to provide the resources, the experience, the mentorship. But you got to have a top-notch motherfucking founder to even crack it. But what do you look for? Is there specific uh, niches that you look for or is it character traits? What is it like?
2: So in terms of category of like industry focus, we have no industry focus. Like You could be in any industry um, and you could pitch to us. So what we really look for is just a founder who really understands the space that they're trying to change and improve. And we see the passion as well. You know, with this early, like very early stage, there's no projections and all of that that we're looking at. It's really the passion and the knowledge in that space that they're trying to enter. So yeah. that's mainly the thing. That, that we're looking for.
1: Okay. Now, if they're fortunate, what's the process that they have to go through in order to apply? Is there like a screening process? Do they have to dance? Do they have to pitch something? <laughs> what, what do we're they very need to, to get their
2: we're, very, we're very straightforward because we understand like how founders think and what really is stressful, you know, like going through the entire process. So we're very yeah. simple in a sense that you will actually just get, you pitch in the website And then we actually schedule a call with you and Carlos Mm -hmm. is going to be there. Andrew's going to be there. Like the team's going to be there and you're going to be pitching. And then we're going to be asking some questions. Mm -hmm. And then when we agree on something, we send like a one pager term sheet and you have the money in your bank. That's really the way we operate. It's like fast and simple and straightforward.
1: All right. Last question. What's the money like and how do you determine that valuation? Because again, uh, this is very risky. You take so much risk here right? Mm-hmm. right right from the get-go. But what is a t- monetary support? And again, what will they get after you get that term sheet signed?
2: Sure. The way we're thinking about it is from a very like, simple perspective of, um, okay, a founder wants to pursue entrepreneurship full-time and we're going to help them shape that up into an actual business. So we're going to give them like half a million in exchange for like 5 to 10% of their company. And then we're going to help them shape up their MVP that would allow them to like raise like a very serious round of seed uh, to actually scale the business. So Correct. that's just it. That's Which are simple. now
1: available in the Philippines, exactly. right? Angels and seed. Because before, dude, in, in how we did it before 2011-2012, you don't have much choices because you have to go bootstrap until you get certain product market fit. And in order for you to get product market fit, there needs to be certain levels of iterations you need to get there. And if you're bootstrapped, good luck. You don't have runway. You're, you're pretty much fucked. But now with the emergence of the 335s three, three and whatnot, and so many other funds, again, just track back in Hustle shelter. I, I pretty much have them all here. You now have choices. You can choose the path. Like in Pokemon, pick your fucking Pokemon. Is it a Charmander, Squirrel, or a Pikachu, or a Bulbasaur? Right? Up to you what you want to choose, and it still goes into something very promising. I'm very excited exactly. for the ecosystem, but uh, let's take our last break. And when we come back, I want to ask you how to build the proper MVP and everything else that uh, you guys are doing in terms of what you're really good at, George. Want well, to talk about that more after the break. <laughs> business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions for liberating your time for what truly matters. Learn in flexible tenors with hashtag Unoboost. Dragon Pay was named Fintech of the Year at last year's Philippine Fintech Festival in 2022. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer. Trust DragonPay. And we're back from the break. We are still over the coconut in the Buko Ventures with George Padin who again told us what Buko stands for and very very excited there's now so many options all we need are great founders and if you are listening to Hustle Share most likely you are a great founder because you're here to learn from our mistakes the idiots that came before you <laughs> because the reason why we're paying it forward because we've fucked up so much, and we've seen so many people fuck up like us so that you don't have to go through the same mistakes. That's what your Gen, Y and Gen Xs are for. Basically, your're running playbook of what not to do. OK, now George, I want to find out several things, right? Especially in, in the most important segment of any startup. The zero to one. ideation. Yeah. To so fucking creation and va- of product and validations. This is where people bungle this so much, and again you fuck this up so much, and you got lucky and you scale prematurely. That is the death knell for your startups. And exactly. I want to find out. You've been building the MVP guy, the most valuable product guy. You know that's what you are, and you've been building MVPs for rocket uh, internet startups, for venture builded startups, and also you build product. What makes a good MVP? Because I think MVP is a loosely used word that just for the sake of shipping something, it's already MVP. In your opinion, what makes a good MVP?
2: I think that's a very good question because, like, getting to zero to one, like having a product is like the one, and you actually have end users that's the one. Building like an MVP, like, for those who don't know, like, MVP is like minimum viable product. It's really like basically the features that are like bare minimum that really just to get like your product working to validate whether people are going to use it or not. So when we build like MVPs for these like rocket internet back startups, it's really one of the most critical part is like moving really fast as data driven as possible and then actually having end users use it and then iterate quickly. That's an MVP. And that's our strategy to MVP. Otherwise you could build like a full blown product and having all of these like Patting yourself in the back, telling yourself, yeah. that, hey, when I launch this, people are going to use it because it's beautiful. And then you launch it, you've spent a year building it, and then nobody's using it. And then you're going to be very frustrated in life. So that's not the way we do things. We ship something in three to four months. We iterate very quickly. That's the strategy in building like an MVP. Time is very essential and right. make it as data-driven as possible.
1: Again, rocket speed. Yep. No pun intended. You know, it's uh, uh, rocket speed because at the end of the day, what you don't want to do is fall in love with the solution and your, your idea and you build something, you know, fucking gargantuan and do waterfall development, build so many features, build so many things that nobody knows how to fucking use. So in your opinion, so you build an MVP. What's the method? Because at the end of the day, you're going to have to iterate. No MVP survives this, uh, you know, becomes the final version of the product. It's basically just the exoskeleton or the blueprint of how you want it. There's going to be multiple pivots all the time that you need to do. But while you're doing that, what is the process that you typically use to make sure that you're building the right feature set?
2: For sure. So I, w- I would just like talk to talk about like our recent like MVP that we built. Okay. So basically, there's this like a rocket internet-backed company. They're called Flash Coffee. They're headquartered in Jakarta. And they actually okay. got like a recent funding of Series A of like 15 million US. Yeah. And when we were building their MVP, uh, we went to Jakarta. Their entire team was there, COO, CEO, head of operations, head of shops, and all of that. And that's yep. very critical when you're like building the MVP together with like the team who will design your product because it aligns the entire team. So right. that's what we did. And we do this thing called Design Sprint where we just follow an entire design process to really just prioritize everything. So while we're doing that, we're actually aligning their team, the startup's mm. team, of what the priorities of the company would be in terms of their MVP product. So we did that. We did a design sprint in like three days. Uh, we did mock-ups, like high-fidelity mockups, and then we had it on phones. And then we went to their actual shops. And then we had actual end-user customers actually click through everything and then we recorded everything to see if they're actually... Like, they understand how it's going to be used. Wow. And then around that, we then iterate quickly and then do high-fidelity mockups, mm. the actual designs. And then once we have that, we have all of the screens, we then push it uh, on the development front where we just, like, code it as quick as possible yeah. and then we launch.
1: So you don't code until you've seen high-fidelity mockups, like what I said, where you... you Expose it right away to the user, measure it, how they interact with the product, and then you just double down on what works. In the case that it doesn't work, what do you guys do?
2: In the case that it doesn't work, when we do like the mock up testing, we really just quickly iterate the design. So, what gets to development is like the most de risk product design already. Got it. And then we then launch it into the market, and then we start iterating from there. We start building on like more visions that they have for their tech, more features and stuff like that. So eventually, they become a very like full blown product, you know, with so many features. But that's always the route that you should go when you're building tech startups. It's never like, hey, we will be this full blown. You're gonna live a very very miserable like sad life if you right. keep An building full blown life
1: products. as well. You know, <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. That's just that's what people typically do. Like, oh, let's go ship it. Let's hire a dev shop, and uh, most dev shops don't freaking make it on time. As, and it's worse if you do it in house. Some people do it in house, building an MVP in house, and you don't have a product yet. And again, tech talent is expensive. Good luck to your runway that exactly. you already dug yourself a hole six feet deep you know, at the end of the day. Again, when you build an MVP, you're always in search of not product market fit yet, but problem solution fit. So you iterate, something works. But how do you know, George, if you already have problem solution fit that you can now iterate in scale a little bit and build more processes on top of that?
2: So when when we build products, it's really usually for, for example, like, this Rocket Internet Pack startup, they got a mm-hmm. the pre-seed from Rocket Internet. It's mm-hmm. probably like 12 months, 18 months runway to really just like build it. They come to us with the idea of what they want to build and what they need to build. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like in six months, that's probably the tech that we build is what they're going to use to raise for their funding for their seed round, right? So right. that's very important for them as well. So they're the experts in the industry. We're just like the consultants who comes in and diagnoses the problem and then comes up with a solution based on like what we see. So the design sprint is very valuable in a sense that it actually lets us discover so many things. Even them as founders who are experts in their space already discover new things when we do the design sprint. So, yeah, I think going through a real design process is very important and critical. Not just like exactly copying the screens of the competition that you're trying to beat, Mm. uh, because you will find yourself in situations where there are a lot of business use cases that doesn't freaking make sense for you. Correct. Because you just copied every single screen that they have.
1: Yeah. Yeah, You might even copy the logo. So don't copy (laughs) everything, huh?
2: Just make sure. It's good inspiration.
1: Correct. And again, it's good because you're, you're there to outscale them as well. Now, I want to find out. So you, you have all of that and what you okay. built. You have yeah, problem-solution fit. In your opinion, and this is also circles back to what Buko does. Build an MVP, problem-solution fit. When is the perfect time to properly raise funds for a proper seed? Because I always get this like, oh, we're building a product. We're not yet launched, but I want to launch, a, I want to race now. Like, uh, I'm not sure if that's a good idea because you need to have traction, my man, before you exactly. you freaking do it. But when's the right time to do that?
2: So that's really where uh, we're coming in as Boco Ventures to really just fill that gap where a lot of like existing venture firms are in right now, which is mm-hmm. mostly in seed round. We come in at the riskiest space, which is earliest, like where Mm -hmm. there's a founder who can't afford to do it full-time, can't afford to bootstrap, but extremely Mm -hmm. talented. We give Mm -hmm. them money to actually survive and not think about anything else, like paying their electricity bill, but only think about building their product and be obsessed about it. That's where we come in. Mm -hmm. And I think because of our mentorship and the value add that we bring, we really help them shape up a very solid like MVP that allows them through our network as well to just connect with these like serious seed backers. So The you can't raise serious uh, seed round unless you actually have like data, like what you said and all of that. And we help them reach that. So our hope at Buco is really to just empower like the next wave because we, we basically sponsored their leap into entrepreneurship. That's the way we see it. Absolutely.
1: Man, I wish this was uh, around (laughs) when we were doing, but again, it wouldn't have happened if that uh, happened. But last question, if you have advice for Philippine startup founders, again, at the precipice of jumping into entrepreneurship, they think they've uh, accumulated enough enough experience and there's real confidence, not just bravado uh, that they have. What's your advice for them to take that leap?
2: I think when you pursue startups and ideas, it has to be coming from the point of view of real passion. It's like you, you don't come into it from the perspective of, I just want to raise more and more money and have like really high valuations. And also, investors get a very good read whether you're actually passionate about what you're doing and what you're pitching us. And we see that. Uh, we get a sense of is this coming from a perspective of just purely ego or is this really coming from a perspective of these guys are actually extremely like, passionate about what they're doing, they understand it, and they're a visionary. So it's a massive like plus. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if, if you're in that space, it's like be obsessed with something, like something genuinely you're obsessed about. And I think that's the right time to actually take the leap. Otherwise, if you're just like reading all of these like tech and Asia articles and then you copy those guys, you're like raising a baby that you don't love, you know. If if that's a right analogy.
1: And again, George, thank you very much for sharing that amazing, amazing advice. But again, if they want to join and climb up the tree where the coconut nut is up there, what do they do to become? And, uh, or have a chance to even work with you guys in Buko Ventures?
2: Yeah, we, uh, thank you for that, Ron. Uh, we are very, like, our website is very straightforward in terms of, like, you don't even have to send a pitch deck. You just send, like, a description and all of that. So you could go to bucoventures.com to just apply there. I think you show notes. Yep. bucoventures.com. And yeah, eventually we will set up, like, our, Facebook as well and Instagram to make it like cooler and all of that. <laughs> and you'll see a Pokari Sweat commercial there. Oh, ha! Huh? Exactly. Answered by
1: or Sweat. <laughs> <laughs> all righty, man. Thank you very much. Before I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast app to listen to, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and whatnot. And if you did say some jargon, don't worry. It's going to be the show notes on HustleShare.com. And if you want to be part of the community, it's going to be the HustleShare community on Facebook so you can also join us and talk about you know what happened on the show and meet your fellow listeners of the podcast and lastly message us on the hustle share chatbot at m.me slash hustle share powered by chatbot VH again George thank you very much
2: thank you thank you alright and
1: I'll see you guys in the next episode peace